0: Amen. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we are back uh, into our series this morning in the book of Ephesians. A few weeks ago, uh, we arrived at a, a pretty pivotal point in our study through the book of Ephesians. In chapters 1 to 3, you might remember Paul has been uh, talking a lot about much of the doctrine and the theology behind our salvation, behind the work that God has done to save us and bring us into relationship with him. And then from the end of chapter 3 and into the beginning of chapter 4, Paul has turned a corner now and we've turned that corner with him to see the difference that that theology and that doctrine makes in the way that we live our day-to-day lives. And uh, who we are should drive how we live. And so really the resounding message of this particular section that we're in right now at the end of Ephesians 4 is simply this. You are no longer who you once were, so so live like who you now are. So let me say that again. You are no longer who you once were, so live like who you now are. That's the message that Paul's going after. That's what we're going after this morning. And the imagery that Paul uses here in this last section of Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32, the imagery that he uses is that of taking off an old pair of clothes and so that you can put on a new pair of clothes. And, and he uses this illustration to show us the difference between the old life that we had before we came to know Jesus Christ compared to the new life that we have been given in Jesus Christ as a result of his salvation within our lives. It's the imagery of that clothing. And so in our culture, one of the ways that we can uh, see who people are and what people do is sometimes defined by the clothing that they wear. Let me give you some examples up on the screen for you here. You see this first example. We know these people to be firefighters right? Not too many people are going to go out and wear a uniform like that just to do day-to-day things, right? So when a person's wearing that kind of uniform, we can identify who they are and what they do based on the clothing that they're wearing. Same is true for this next person up here. We know this to be a police officer. (laughs) Shout out to Rick. All right? So we know know that person to be a police officer based, again, on the clothing that they're wearing. Again, not too many people are going to go out and do their errands with that kind of clothing on, right? We know that person to be a police officer. We know this next person to be an astronaut, right? So nobody, I don't think, in their right mind is going to go about day-to-day stuff just going out, doing the things that they need to do, wearing the uniform of an astronaut. However, if you're floating in the middle of outer space, you need one of those uniforms. And we know based on that person's clothing that they are an astronaut. We know this next one, we know this to be bride and groom. Now, now these folks look a little bit wooden, maybe a little bit nervous, you know, but it's a big day, a lot of grace for that, right? This is This is the bride and groom that go on top of the wedding cake, right? And so we know them uh, based on the clothing that they're wearing. We know who they are, and we know what they do. Now, there's one more example I want to give to you, but before we put that slide up onto the screen, I want you to understand that this next example may be the most powerful illustration of what Paul is about to teach us in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's put this next picture up on the screen. We know this person to be a prisoner and we know them to be a prisoner based on the orange jumpsuit that they're wearing. This person, as a prisoner, they are going to wear this orange jumpsuit for the majority of the time, if not all of the time, that they are incarcerated because their identity is wrapped up in the reality that they are a prisoner. However, when that prisoner is set free from prison, they are no longer obligated to wear that orange jumpsuit. They're no longer obligated to wear that same clothing that they wore while they were in prison that identifies them as a prisoner. Instead, they can put on a new pair of clothes. And that's what Paul's about to teach us in Ephesians chapter 4. That when you are set free by Jesus Christ you are no longer incarcerated in your sin. And because of that, you no longer need to wear the clothing that you once wore in your old life as a prisoner of your sin. You no longer need to keep on those old clothes because when you're saved, when you're set free in Jesus Christ, you are given a brand new set of clothes. You put on the new, you take off the old and that's what Paul is about to teach us here in this passage in Ephesians chapter four. Now, at the same time, As we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, there is a danger that exists in this passage that could be very easy, if we're not careful, it could be very easy for us to totally miss. Because as we come to this passage, you need to understand that these last few verses in Ephesians chapter 4 are just loaded with commands for us to do. Paul says, do this, do this, do this, do this, all as evidence of the new life that you've been given in Jesus Christ. But if we're not careful, we can come to this passage and think to ourselves, well, okay, if I want God to be happy with me, if I want God to pour out his favor upon me, if I want things, if I want blessing from God, then I need to do, 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 do. And I need to keep going after this life. And and that's not what Paul is going after here. Because the reality is, when we keep going after the Christian life like that, inevitably, we're going to fail, and we're going to fall short, and at some point, we're going to be really, really disappointed because of, because of the reality that we're not able to live up to what we think that new life is, and when we fail like that, inevitably, our spiritual growth is stunted, and it's not strengthened, and so when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul now is about to unpack a much better way, and he actually says to us, he, he gives us here in Ephesians chapter 4 what I like to call the sanctification sandwich. So he's about to unpack for us our spiritual lunch right here. He's about to give it to us in three layers, just like a normal sandwich has three layers on it. You got that bottom piece of bread on the bottom of the sandwich. And, and that first layer of the sanctification sandwich, Paul's going to say to us, stop doing that. And we're going to get to what that is in just a minute. But that's the bottom layer of the sanctification sandwich. Then the middle layer is, is Paul's going to say, here's why you need to stop doing that. Okay? So we've got the bottom layer, stop doing that. Middle layer, here's why you should stop doing that. But then the top layer, that top piece of bread on the sanctification sandwich, man, I'm getting hungry just talking about this. But that top piece of bread on the sandwich, Paul's going to say now, start doing this. So bottom layer, stop doing that. Middle layer, here's why you should stop doing that. Top layer, now start doing this. So three layers to this sanctification sandwich that really begins to identify our new life in Jesus Christ. So let's have our Bibles open, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Follow along with me in your copy of God's word as I begin reading verse 17. Paul says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you so much for the clarity with which your word speaks. And Father, I pray now as we come to this message, as we come to this passage particularly, uh, Lord, in some ways this is a hard message, but in so many ways this is a good message, good message from your word. And so Lord, I pray in the process of uh, these next few minutes together, Lord, that you would um, allow me to fade far into the background, that your word Um, and by the power of your spirit that your word would do the work this morning of convicting hearts, of challenging hearts, of comforting hearts, of doing whatever it is, spirit of God, that you have determined uh, to do today. So we give this time to you, Lord. I give myself to you. I pray that you would um, enable me and empower me by your spirit to speak with clarity, uh, to speak the truth according to your word, and to speak the hope of your gospel. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us in Christ. We ask now that you would help us to see afresh again today the reality of the good news that has saved us and I pray changed us both now and forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, three layers here that I want you to see in this passage. Let's begin with this. Number one, you may want to jot this down. Uh, Stop doing that. Leave the old life behind. So this is the bottom layer that we're talking about here on the sanctification sandwich. Paul says, stop doing that, leave the old life behind. Essentially, Paul is saying here, take this old life that you once lived, take this, this life before you came to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, stick that life in the rear view mirror and start driving away. Okay, Leave that old life behind because it has no place anymore. And so Paul begins this passage by saying, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So when he says Gentiles here, he's he's not referring to a certain people group. He's instead referring to a certain way of life. He's referring to a pagan lifestyle. He's referring to people who are unbelievers, people who do not believe in God, people who do not follow God, people who do not love the things of Jesus Christ, people who do not treasure the gospel in any way, shape, or form. He's talking about a certain way of life. And he's saying, now that you've been saved, now that you've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and he has changed your life, don't live like that anymore. Because that's not your life. That's why he says at the start of verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. So he's not just looking back to the first part of chapter 4 and the first 16 verses of that section. He's actually looking back all the way to the very beginning in chapter 1. And he's saying, in light of all of these amazing things that God has done to save you and me and to bring us into relationship with him and to rescue us from the old way of life, leave that old way of life now completely and totally behind. In fact, look at how he describes the old way of life. Verse 17, starting at the end of verse 17, he says, In the futility of their minds... They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He's describing the old way of life. Check this out up on the screen for you. uh, John Stott, who is a who was a pastor and a theologian, wrote a very helpful commentary on the book of Ephesians, uh, went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. Um, He has a very helpful way of describing what Paul is unpacking for us here in this particular section in verses 17 to 19. Notice here that it begins with a hardness of heart. And that's what Paul says at the end of verse 18. He says, all of this is due to the hardness of their hearts. Okay, so the hardness of heart is not the result that you see at the end. The hardness of heart is what actually gets this process going. So Paul says it's due to the hardness of their heart. In other words, their hearts are literally, spiritually, hard as a rock before God. So for example, they hear the gospel and the only response is rejection. They completely turn away because their heart is, or their heart is hard. That then, he says, leads to a darkness of mind. And notice, notice the way that Paul talks about this again in verse 17. He says, the futility of their minds, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, again here, because of the ignorance that is in them. There's a darkness of their mind. So, so their hard heart that is turning away from the things of God, turning away from the gospel, leads then to a darkness of their mind. They're not thinking right. They're not not processing life around them in the way that they should. And that then leads to what Paul says is a deadness of soul. It's a deadness of soul. Paul says in verse 18 that they are alienated from the life of God. They're turning away from him. They're not following him. They're not going in the way that God wants them to go. And that then can only lead to one place, and that is a recklessness of life. A recklessness of life. In fact, Paul says in verse 19, they have become callous. In other words, they don't really care anymore about the consequences of their sin. They don't care about how sin's going to impact them or the people around them. He says, verse 19, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now just stop here and think for a second. Just think about what the Bible is saying right here. Think about what the Bible is saying to us right now. It's saying that one of the key markers of the life of someone who does not follow Jesus is sexual sin. Now, when he says sensuality, when he says impurity, he's not talking only about sexual sin, but he is talking primarily about sexual sin. And he says here, one of the key ways to see the life of a person who does not follow Jesus is sexual sin. It's the desire for pornography. It's the desire, and not just the desire, but even the desire to act out on an adulterous relationship. It's the boyfriend and girlfriend in, in high school or in college or in university or, or maybe later on in life, it's the boyfriend and girlfriend who are, are making poor decisions that are leading down a path of impurity. And just over and over again, it's these decisions that are just leading completely in the wrong direction. And and Paul says here in this passage, it's not just the desire for this, it's the callousness of the heart that comes with it. It's the callousness of the heart that not only motivates those wrong decisions, it's the callousness of heart that is multiplied by those wrong decisions. It's the heart that says, I'm simply here to satisfy myself. I'm simply here to get out of this what I think I need to get out of this. And I don't really care about the consequences of the decisions that I'm going to make. I'm just going to do what I want to do regardless of how it's going to impact me or the people around me that I care about the most. It's interesting when when you read through this this outline that Paul gives here and says it starts with a hardness of heart, goes to the the darkness of mind and the deadness of soul and the recklessness of life. It's almost identical to what he says in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is one of the classic passages in all of the New Testament about the descent into sin. And Paul says, actually, in Romans chapter 1, he's talking about people who have turned away from the truth of God. And he says, Romans 1, verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, notice this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. And he goes on to describe the kind of life of the person who has made it to that point. He then goes on, Romans 1, verse 26, he says, for this reason, again, here it is, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And again, he goes on to describe the life of the kind of person who has made it to that point. Then Romans 1, verse 28, just a couple of verses later, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, here it is again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And again, he goes on to describe the kind of life of a person that has made it to that point. Like, we got to get this, loved ones. We have to understand this. This is the pattern that leads to death. This is the pattern that leads to spiritual death. And this is what Paul is describing again in Ephesians 4. That when you come to Jesus, there has to be a clean break from these things. There has to be an active turning away from that old way of life. See, we need to understand that this pattern that Paul unpacks here in Ephesians 4, which is almost identical to Romans 1, we need to understand the hardness of heart that leads to darkness of mind, that leads to deadness of soul, that leads to recklessness of life. This is not just some slippery spiritual slope. Okay? That is one of the biggest lies that the enemy would love for you to believe, that this is just some slippery slope that you're going down and that you've got time to turn things around at some point, that you can come back and say, you know what? I'm just going to do this for a season because this is what makes me happy. This is what seems to give me joy, some kind of satisfaction. So I'm just going to keep going after this, going after this, and at some point down the road, I'll turn it back around and I'll come back around. And everything will be fine. No, no, no. That is one of the biggest lies that Satan would ever have you believe. This is not just some slippery spiritual slope. This is the edge of the spiritual cliff. And when you get to the point where your heart is so hard to the things that God is doing, you are that close to taking the step right off and falling off. So it begs the question of us this morning. Just examine your heart. Just examine your life right here, right now. Right now, as the Spirit of God is doing this work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives right now, what is it in your life? Is there anything within your life right now where your heart is hard toward the things of God? Where God is working on your life and and the Spirit of God comes to you repeatedly over and over and over again and says, just move away from that, just walk away from that, just don't do that anymore, just leave that behind. And you're like, no, 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 I want that, I need that, I find satisfaction in that. Is there anything in your life right now that is leading you to a hardness of heart because that hard heart is the first step off the cliff? When you come to Jesus, there has to be this clean break. You have to leave the old life behind. In fact, look at the words in can I just stop here for a second? Loved ones, this is a hard message. This is hard to say. I, I can only imagine it's hard to hear. But we need to hear this. So sit up, pay attention, okay? Let's lean into God's word. Look at the words in verses 17 to 19 that describe the old way of life. Futility, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hardness, callous, sensuality, greedy, impurity. And, And loved ones, see this here. He's not only describing a way of thinking, he's describing a way of living. He's ultimately describing the things that we value. He's describing a value system right here in verses 17 to 19 with all of these words. And the question that comes to us right now is simply this, what do we value? What do you value in your heart? What do you treasure more than you treasure anything else? Do you value the old way of life? Do you wish that you still had the old way of life compared to the new life that you have in Christ and the new life that you're trying to live right now? Do you value the things of the world more than you value the things of God? Because at the end of the day, we all know this to be true, right? The things that you do reflect the things that you desire. The things that you do reflect the things that you desire. Like, just take a minute right now. Just think back if you can. Just think back if you can remember to your life before you came to know Christ. Is anything different now than it was then? Can you think back to the time when the supreme value of your heart was entertainment? It was education, where the supreme value of your heart was your bank account, it was your career, it was your physical appearance. It was what other people thought about you, it was what other people said about you it was all those things. Like can you think back to that time when those things were the things that you treasured the most? Is it any different for you now than it was then? Because part of what Paul's saying here is, you need to leave these things behind. And that's the problem, isn't it? Like, a lot of Christians and and loved ones i say this with love i say this with grace but i say this because it needs to be said a lot of christians who have come to christ but are still chasing after those things still going after those very same things the treasure of your heart is your money the treasure of your heart is your reputation the treasure of your heart is your physical appearance the treasure of your heart is your career it's your family it's whatever Like you fill in that blank. The treasure of your heart is something, but at the moment it doesn't seem to be Jesus because there's so many Christians, so many Christians, maybe even some right in this room right now. And I say this again with love and grace, I pray. I say this, but there are some Christians who are more concerned about what's on TV than you are about what's in your Bible. Some Christians who are more concerned about what other people say you should do than you are about what God says about who you are. Don't we know this to be true, that the only place that that is going to take us is to a place of spiritual apathy, a place of spiritual complacency, and ultimately to a place of spiritual weakness. Remember what... Jesus said about what it means to follow him? Remember what Jesus said about the clean break from the old life to the new life? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. Like, loved ones, God is saying in his word right here that when we enter into this relationship with him, there has to be a clean break. There has to be a clean break from the old life to the new life. It is time, the Bible says here, to leave the old life behind. Stop doing that. Leave the old life behind. Now, if if I can be really honest with you, this is where I get a little bit nervous because Um, if the passage were to end right there, if the message were to end right there, though it would be biblical, it would also lean very heavily toward legalism. Just stop doing that. Stop doing that. Who likes hearing that, right? Stop doing that. Leave the old life behind. And that's why I'm really glad that not only does Paul tell us to stop doing that, but also this, notice number two, here's why you should stop doing that. So Paul turns a bit of a corner here in verse 20. Here's why you should stop doing that. He tells us actually two main reasons why we should leave the old life behind. First, notice this. We should leave the old life behind because of what God has done. We should leave the old life behind because of what God has done. Look at how Paul now starts describing the new life. Verse 20, he says, that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, he says, you learned him. You heard him. You were taught in him. In other words, you can leave this old life behind because you don't just know about Jesus. You know Jesus and the truth is in Jesus. The truth about who God is. The truth about who we are the truth about who we are because of who God is, and how Jesus is the only one who can save us and make us right with God both now and forever. Listen to how John describes this in 1 John 5 and verse 20. This is so, so encouraging. He says this, "'And we know that the Son of God has come "'and given us understanding "'so that we may know him who is true. "'And we are in him who is true.'" in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Like, Doesn't that just fill you with confidence? To know that you belong to Jesus. You have been made right with God. We belong to the one who is true and right and good. But then Paul expands on this reality in Ephesians 4 verse 22. He says, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So look here at what God has done. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Now, you need to understand something important here that in the original language, those two phrases, uh, put off the old self and put on the new self, those are not commands for us to do for God. In the original language, those are actually descriptions of what God has already done for us. He's put off the old self, and he's put on the new self. God has taken the old self, the old life that we had prior to knowing Christ that was dominated by sin. And the Bible says that that was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And in its place, God has given me now, God has given us a new self that is alive in Jesus Christ. Like that is the good news of the gospel, amen? And that's, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which so many of you know very well. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. God has done this saving work. The old has passed and behold, the new has come. Like just think about that for a minute. God, for no other reason then that he loves you and that he has grace and mercy to pour out upon you and in a desire to glorify himself through our salvation, he has come to us and given us new life in Jesus Christ. He's taken that old self that used to be you that was dominated by sin, he's put it off, just like that prisoner uniform up there. He's taken those clothes, put them off, and he's given you a new life in Christ just because he loves you. Mercy upon us to open our eyes to the truth in Jesus. Like, child of God, don't miss this. Don't miss this. God's grace is all over your life. This is why I must leave the old life behind. We have been given new life in Christ, but but that's not all. Because what God has done actually flows out of who God is, that's the second reason that we need to leave the old life behind, because of who God is. So see this, look at what Paul says here in this passage, God is creator. So verse 24, we have new life because we are created after the likeness of God. Back in Genesis 1, God created man in in his image. It means that as human beings, we mirror who God is in many different ways. And every human being has dignity and worth because we are all created in the image of God. But when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, that person is given new life. And that new life is given to that person because God has created that new life within that person. And that new life is meant even more to mirror now who God is. We are God's workmanship, Paul says back in chapter 2. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God is creator. But notice this too. God is truly righteous and holy. Like there is no sin in God. God is set apart from sin and he is set above his creation and he is perfect and pure in all that he is and in all that he does. And the problem here is that we are not. We know this to be true, that while God is perfectly loving, he is also perfectly just and something had to be done in order to satisfy his wrath and pay the price for our sins. And again, we know that the perfect love of God met the perfect justice of God at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the Son of God died in your place and in my place for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and only by an act of his grace and his mercy upon our lives. He gives us the ability to see and to understand that by repenting of our sins and believing in the finished work of Jesus in our place, in his life, death, and resurrection, that you and I are rescued from a life of punishment in hell to be given a redeemed life for his purposes here on this earth. Like this is the good news of the gospel, and this, loved ones, this right here is why we can leave the old life behind. Like this is the meat on the sanctification sandwich. This is the gospel. This is why we leave the old life behind. This, friends, is the power, not only to see God as righteous and holy, but to see, but for us to be righteous and holy ourselves. See, here's the thing. If your view of the Christian life is little more than, I gotta do this, and 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 and it's just a spiritual checklist that you check off every single time, every single day, for every single thing that you do. If that's your view of the Christian life, then it shouldn't really surprise you that you're so frustrated by the reality that you can't keep up, that you can't do these things over and over and over again. Listen, the Christian life begins with a right understanding of who God is. And it, it flows then to a right understanding of who we are because of who God is. And that flows then, that culminates to a life of love and joy-filled obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ as we treasure the gospel, as we treasure the things of the new life that we have been given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and as we leave that old life behind. Because we are absolutely captured by the reality that God loves me so much that he would do all of this for me so that I could know him like that which is exactly where Paul goes next. And he leads us then to one final layer. So notice this, number one, stop doing that. Number two, here's why you should stop doing that. Now number three, start doing this. Start doing this. And I want you to see here three things that Paul tells us to start doing. First of all, he says, strive for holy living. Strive for holy living. Now you'll notice here at the very end of chapter four, there's a lot of commands that are gonna come rushing our way here. Okay? And, and you need to understand that this is not an exhaustive list of what it means for us to be holy. Okay? These are very likely some, some particular challenges that the Ephesian Christians were dealing with at this particular time. So notice verse 25, Paul says, therefore. In other words, because of who God is and what God has done, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul says, Put away falsehood. Do you lie? Do you embellish the truth to make yourself look better? Do you flatter other people to get something that you want? Do you make excuses to other people to avoid things that you don't want? Do you speak the truth? And why does that matter? Why is that so important? Because it's important because Paul says that our relationships with each other are on the line here. That's why he says at the end of that sentence, for we are members one of another. It's because of our relationships with each other. Not telling the truth in some form inevitably creates division. And you got to keep in mind the context, the bigger context here of chapter four, okay? The context here is our unity in our relationships with one another, that we are together. And withholding the truth in one form or another breaks that unity down. It does not build that unity up. So he says, put away falsehood. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do you get angry? There's actually uh, two different words for anger that Paul uses here in this verse. Um, you can see it shows up twice. Those are two different words in the original language. The first word that Paul uses for anger indicates um, a righteous anger when we see injustice. So when we see people doing things that God does not sanction, when we see people taking the good gifts that God has given and abusing those gifts for their own selfish purposes, that leads them to a righteous anger. That's the kind of anger that Paul starts this verse by talking about. Let me ask, do we as Christians rightly feel a righteous anger when we see people who are being marginalized, people who are being neutralized, people who are being ignored, neglected, people who are being abused, people who can't stand up for themselves, can't defend themselves in any way, shape, or form, and they're getting taken advantage of. Does that well up within us, a rightful, righteous anger? Because people are taking the good things that God has given and turning them and abusing them for their own selfish purposes? That's the first kind of anger that Paul talks about here. The second word that he uses later in this verse, um, he talks about a personal resentment in your heart over something that's been done to you. So on the one hand, you've got this righteous anger, and when you think about that righteous anger, think about Jesus walking into the temple and flipping over the, the tables of the money changers in the temple. It's that righteous anger because they were taking something that God had given them as a good gift, abusing it, flipping it now for their own selfish purposes. But the second anger he's talking about is more of a personal resentment. And and maybe you weren't sinned against so much, but, but it's more the idea that you were mistreated for sure and you've got this resentment that seems to be bubbling at the surface. He says, don't let the sun go down on that. In other words, make sure that you do what you can to make things right as quickly as you can. And why does that matter so much? Paul says it matters because otherwise we give an opportunity to the devil. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. Listen, we need to understand so clearly that the devil is committed not only to dividing your heart, but he is committed to destroying our unity. And the longer that anger remains unchecked within our hearts, whether it's righteous anger or unrighteous anger, the longer it remains unchecked, the bigger the wedge that the devil will drive into our relationships. Warren Wiersbe said it like this, up on the screen for you, Warren Weersby once said, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground, and before long it becomes the Christian's battleground. It's true, isn't it? So whether the anger is righteous or it's unrighteous, Paul says here, deal with it as quickly as possible. Verse 28, he goes on, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Can you say that you've never taken anything that doesn't belong to you? Do you take credit for things that someone else has done? Even just a little bit? And if you do take credit for things that someone else has done, even just a little bit, would you pause at some point just to ask yourself, why do I do that? Why do I feel the need to do that? The Bible says here that each one should do honest work with his own hands. Verse 28, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now notice this, because this is really important. Generosity is evidence of a changed life. Generosity is evidence of a changed life. So he says here, instead of stealing to satisfy yourself, work so that you can share with others. Verse 29, he goes on, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. This is kind of the idea that Paul has in mind here. I don't know if you can see this or not, but um, this is a rotten banana. Like, I'm talking like super rotten, okay? I actually left this out in the kitchen and left the bag open overnight. Came downstairs, didn't smell too great. So the word that Paul uses uh, here in this verse for corrupting talk, this is the idea that he has behind it. It's the idea of rotten fruit. And, and you know what this is? This is corrupting talk. This is inappropriate jokes. This is vulgarity. This is swearing. This is lying. This is abuse. This is spiteful criticism. This is gossip. Right here. Talking about other people behind their back. This is gossip. This is is corrupt talk. See, part of the idea that Paul's going for here is that there's no way that anyone in their right mind would put something like this into their mouth, right? Unless you're doing a dare or something, but that's just kind of dumb. So there's, there's no way that anybody would take a piece of rotten fruit like this and voluntarily put it into their mouth. So the idea that Paul's going for here is that if you would never put this into your mouth, then why are things like this coming out of it? No corrupting talk, he says. Instead, the idea is that you take, well, a banana that looked a lot better than this about three hours ago. Um, You take take something totally different. You You take a healthy banana, right? You take healthy fruit. That's what needs to be coming out of your mouth. You know what healthy fruit is? It's encouragement. It's kindness, it's words of truth, it's words of love, it's the words of the gospel, it's the words that speak hope into another person's life. It's the words that come alongside and encourage and build up instead of tear down. He says, make sure that you pay so much careful attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Make sure that there's no corrupt talk that comes out of your mouth. Why? Verse 29, so that it may give grace to those who hear. And then he wraps this up in verse 30 and he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead of all that evil, he says, now here's what you should put on, he says, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So why do we strive for holy living? We do so because unholy living grieves the Spirit of God think about this. The Spirit of God lives in us as new creations in Christ, keeps us in Christ until the day that Christ takes us home to be with him forever. And during that time, we have the power of the Spirit of God living within us to put our old life behind us so that we can live this new life that we've been given in Christ. And So he says now, turn away from that old life, leave that old life behind, and strive for holy living. But then see this next. Here's what he also says. Number two, surrender the battleground of your mind. Surrender the battleground of your mind. Notice how many times in this passage, Paul talks about the mind. Verse 17, the futility of their minds. Verse 18, darkened in their understanding. Verse 18, the ignorance that is in them. Verse 20, that's not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. See, when you're saved, you start thinking about new things. But when you're saved, you also start thinking about old things differently. And at the end of verse 22, he says that our old self was living according to deceitful desires. And we were deceived in our mind and in our heart that we could find satisfaction, we could find purpose for our life in whatever seemed to make us happy. It's like the old song goes, right? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad right? And that's the life of the old life. That's the way of the old life. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. So I'm just going to go after whatever it is that makes me happy. And don't we know this? In our old self, we kept going our own way and doing our own thing, but it never satisfied. So we just thought to ourselves, well, if I try a little harder, if I do a little better, if I last a little longer, then maybe it'll change. And it never does. And it never did. But then, by God's grace, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And we can see that the old way of life, we can see it for what it really was. And now, he says, we're being renewed by the spirit of our minds. In other words, what he's saying there is that every day, with every situation, I need to continually be reminded about who God is and who I am because of who God is. Listen, loved ones, you need to understand, I need to understand that your mind is a spiritual battleground. Your mind is a spiritual battleground, and our ability to thrive in the Christian life depends on what we fill our mind with. Now, don't take my word for it. Listen to what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Paul says, in their case, the God of this world, who is Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers... He's blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You need to understand that Satan right now, and until the day that Christ comes back, he will be on a campaign to do this very thing, to blind the minds of every single unbeliever. Why? So that they cannot see the hope of the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. He is doing that even today in the culture in which we live, in the world in which we live, which is why it is so important, loved ones, for us to put the old life behind. You say, well, wait a second. I'm a believer, so that's not describing me. Well, then listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. He's writing that to believers. He's writing that to you and to me. So listen, friends, listen right now. Old life, new life. Old life, new life. What's different? What's different for you? Like, you gotta understand, this right now, this is, this is a heart check of sorts. Like, when Pastor Robbie was here last weekend did, did an amazing job of just helping us see by the power of the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, checking our hearts, but this now is moving from a heart check to a hand check, okay? What are my hands telling me about the nature of my heart, where my heart is in my relationship with God? Old life, new life, what's different? What's different for you? Be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. You know, I am more convinced perhaps now more than ever before that one of the main reasons that so many people are stunted in their Christian growth and that they are not seeing the blessing that they wanted to see or that they thought they would see by this point in their life the main reason that that is happening is because they are not filling their minds with the things of God they're saved yes but they are stuck in false ways of thinking which lead to false expectations, not only about who they are themselves, but ultimately about who God is as well. Listen, loved ones, we need to get this. You need to understand that the space between your ears matters. It matters so much. And what you fill that space with will not only shape what you think, but it will ultimately shape how you live. So Paul says here, strive for holy living, surrender the battleground of your mind, and then finally, we end with this, stand in the hope of the gospel. Passage ends in verse 32 by reminding us not only why we forgive one another, but also why we pursue this life at all. He says, as God in Christ forgave you. This is it. This is the good news that deceived and deceiving sinners like us have been forgiven by the God who is faithful and true. And this is why, this is why we can leave the old life behind and thrive in the new life that we have been given through faith in Jesus Christ and to the glory of God.